0: ekonae pydangi te nei natereo irirangi o alte and
1: we're into extra time
0: Kia ora koutou and welcome to RNZ's Extra Time, I'm Bridget Tunnicliffe and this week I'm joined by sports commentator Hamish Bidwell, stuffed sports reporter Paul Cully and RNZ sports reporter Joe Porter as we discuss the relationship between the media and high profile sports people in New Zealand. How should sports journalists approach reporting when it emerges that elite athletes have been behaving badly? You'll also hear from Australian cricket great Joanne Broadbent, who now coaches the Northern Districts, about the gulf between Australia and New Zealand in the women's game. The Hurricanes captain, Artie Savia, took umbrage last week to an article that heard from the neighbours of one test all-black Joshiwani. Residents said the Dunedin property of Iwani had turned into a notorious party house where noisy alcohol-fuelled gatherings frequently happened at weekends. The article came after the news that Yuani and five other players were stood down by the Highlanders after they went drinking following their Round 5 loss to the Hurricanes. I'm paraphrasing, but on social media, Savia basically said it was a deliberate attempt to rubbish the players and invited a lot of hate towards players, potentially jeopardising their mental health. Paul, you co-wrote that article. Were you surprised by that response from Ardi Savia? Uh,
2: no, not really. I know ardie has been very... Um, public with his defense of uh, players' uh, mental health. Um, so, no, I wasn't really surprised. Uh, and to be honest with you, there was kind of water off a duck's back. Um, I did communicate that with the Hurricanes as well. So, you know, no offense uh, taken here um, on an already stance at all, really.
0: Paul, looking at the wider issue, you said in a later opinion piece that there's quite a bit of protection around rugby players in New Zealand with their messes frequently swept up by New Zealand Rugby and the Players Association. Do we have sports reporters in New Zealand who learn about those messes but don't want to report on them?
2: Yeah, of course we do. Um, and, you know, it's it's probably career limiting um, for reporters uh, to dig a bit too much or, or to publish certain things. And you know, it's certainly if you, if you want to be critical of um, the All Blacks, for example, um, you are inviting a lot of uh, negative feedback from the community as well, because it's such a treasured institution in New Zealand. Um, so I mean, when I when I say that, I compare it to the UK where I grew up and Australia where I worked for more than a decade, and you know, I, I think that rugby players, male rugby players in this country, have a Relatively good in terms of um, how they're covered by the media. I think fundamentally, people in this country, including journalists, want the All Blacks to do well and to win, and there is probably less curiosity about what they do off the field uh, compared to other territories.
0: Hamish, would you agree with that?
3: It depends. So, like, I used to do the sort of job that Paul does where you're a day to day journalist. Uh, these days, i have in you know, a arm's length and then some, so I can see I don't need to be cordial terms with any of these people, I don't need any quotes from them you're, you're freer to sort of write about them as they are, which in a lot of cases is distasteful, was is unfailingly rude is, uh, is surly um, arrogant, you know what I mean? Artie Savier does not need to insert himself into this Highlanders' story it has nothing to do with them. What kind of hubris does it take for a man to say, "I know better and I'll tell people how to do their jobs and I'll say what's news and what's not"? It's like, mate, there's nothing to do with you. For a Hurricanes matter, then potentially. But what on earth do you have to do with this? Nothing. So uh, I'm not a huge fan of the All Blacks. Totally ambivalent to them, to be honest. They're, they're just some people who supply me with enough work to sort of keep busy. But like, I just this idea that we would support them or protect them, not really. When you have when you need quotes from them, you have to. You have to sit on things, I guess. But when you're in my position, no, there's no obligations as far as keeping people's sweets concerned.
0: Joe, have you ever been contacted directly by athletes that you've written about who have come back to say they're unhappy with what you've said?
1: Yep, absolutely. Some of the athletes don't like you know, they like to sort of um, highlight the light parts of their career and ignore the shade, and unfortunately you can't do that at all times. And when you're doing a sort of summary on some pieces' career in particular, you do have to mention the things that weren't necessarily the most salubrious. So there are times when I've done stories like that. Um, a recent example would be Aaron Cruden when he left to go overseas after his one-year return with the Chiefs. You know, he asked me not to bring up the being dropped uh, when he you know, missed the All Blacks' flight to Argentina and being dropped overseas. What, the, sorry, the uh, Rugby Championship All black squad, um, and of course, he definitely wanted to leave out the Strippergate 2016 scenario from that story too. So there are times where people want to uh, control the narrative a little bit more, and I, and, you know, but unfortunately, and in that case, I told the Chiefs and Mr. Cruden that sorry, you can't ignore the dark and it completely without, you know, you can't have the light without the dark. It has to be put in there if the story goes to where, so to speak. So yeah, you do have a little bit of that, but not, you, I don't have many. Uh, athletes personally contacting me re-stories. It's usually their fans, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Mm. So i just come in
3: here. I've been manhandled. I've been sworn at, caught every name under the sun, uh, issued with threats, people right up in your face, swearing at you as loud as they can. So the spit's hitting you mm. in the cheeks, that kind of stuff. Like Hamish,
0: hey, is, f- hey, is that fans or athletes?
3: Uh, coaches, uh, CEOs, media managers, players, uh, right in your face, all because you write things that they don't care for and because mm. there's a power imbalance and you need the quotes, these are the people who are the doers of deeds and you're just a mere chronicler, you have to put up with all this rubbish. And I don't do anymore because I'm sort of a, a freelancer. Did I admire the people for doing it? Hell no.
1: Paul, were you surprised the way the Highlanders um, tried to, you know, just the way they played that? If they come out in that media press conference and said, the boys have been stood down because they, you know, they were celebrating Aaron's, Milestone, went back to Josh's house, did nothing illegal, but the police were called and a noise complaint with mate was made. The boys, you know, responded okay to the police, but it's not a good look for our community, it's not a good look for our players so that have been reminded of what it's like to be a Highlander and what that means in this community. If you think they'd sort of taken that approach, it would have died then and there?
2: I think it I think it would have because I think when there isn't that, when they're not on the front foot People always think, well, that whets our appetite for a story. That's Mm. partly true, but it also makes people more willing to talk because they feel as if there's been nobody listening to them. So if they had done that, I would, on safe ground to say that the neighbours would have been satisfied with that. But because there wasn't that, they kind of felt that the only way that they were going to get in, any change in that street, was to talk to us. So it's really a self-defeating strategy for them
0: paul the the chiefs stripper gate in 2016 as an example you said you obviously you grew up in the uk worked in australia how would that story have been treated differently in the uk or australia
2: there's absolutely no way in the world that the identities of the some of the people there would not have come out in the uk or australia there's bigger chance of that happening but i i think you are in rugby and I don't know what the role of the Players Association played as well. I think they we're very effective in making sure that there weren't any individuals named, um, even though I understand there were all Blacks there. So I think that's the big difference. Um, I just can't imagine in Australia or the UK none of the people involved, the higher-profile pro- people involved, or what role they played would have, would have effectively disappeared.
0: You also wrote that other journalists contacted you privately in support of the article about the partying at Ioane's property, and then you said, but they know better than to do it loudly. What what do you mean by that? Are sports journalists in New Zealand, again, trying to stay on side with high-profile sports people?
2: Well, I I think there is an element of that, and I think Hamish touched upon that, that balancing act that you've got to strike when your livelihood depends on access to them. Um, it's a really, really difficult um, balancing act that journalists have to play, and they pretty much play it each day. And, uh, you know, it's, it's hard. It, it, it's very hard to get that balance right. Um, uh, there is a, whether it's overt or covert pressure on, on, on journalists to, I wouldn't say toe the line, because that's disrespectful to them, but, but certainly not, not rock the boat too much.
0: When I was at journalism school, Joseph Romanos came in and chatted to those of us thinking of getting into sports journalism. And the thing I always remember him saying was, "You can't be friends with the sports people you write about or one day might write about." Um, he said he he told us you were dreaming if you think you can be impartial in your reporting if you socialise with the players. Um, Joe, do you think too many New Zealand sports writers want to be friends with the athletes?
1: Quite possibly. Uh, I certainly don't have any you know, desire to be friends with any of these people other than sort of being in a friendly working relationship. It's not great to have animosity, but it's not going to stop me writing a story either because at the end of the day that's my job and my sort of locus of self-worth doesn't come from my relationships with rugby players in New Zealand. Uh, but I imagine, especially some young journos, um, particularly ones uh, who want to be seen to have access to players and inside access, would exactly try and run that line where they become friends or close enough with players to be able to get some inside tips there. They might think it will help perhaps give them um, you know, a bit of a head start in the future on certain things. But the difficulty in New Zealand, and particularly with rugby, is that you know, the game isn't a level playing field for a journalist. For, for example, the Herald will be leaked everything under the sun by New Zealand rugby if it's something that that New Zealand rugby wants to get out into the public sphere. Um, You know, and and by that sort of virtue and token, it makes it a little bit unlevel playing field. Um, you just simply don't have the access to the inside sources that other people do because NZR want to spin their own sort of PR. So it is a bit of a tricky situation in New Zealand with rugby. Uh, I don't think too many journalists worry about getting offside with players uh, in particular. However, the All Blacks might be a little bit different. Uh, you know, you do spend a lot of time around these guys when you go on World Cups and things like that. So perhaps getting offside with the players there, there is a some pressure on journalists. But But not for me. I'm there to report the story and the best news angle of the day and get on with it.
3: The television aspect we should mention here is tricky because that's, yeah, very tricky. Yeah. that's very collegial. And so, A, gives the players the impression of what they can expect from journalists. And then, when you, as a print person who's of much lower standing than a TV person just by interview of your, uh, your profession, when you don't toe the same line, you're sort of very negatively. And also, as an aspiring journalist, you think that's what it's all about. It's all nicknames
0: and high fives and stuff. And that's what we're going to be getting into. And uh, that's not the reality. Paul, we see you know some sports reporters uh, have got quite big social media presence themselves, and sometimes you'll see the sports reporter posting a photo of themselves, arm um, around the the athlete that they've just interviewed. Does that kind of thing make you squirm a little bit?
2: Uh, no, not not really. I mean, I think there were probably bigger things to to worry about, and I, and I want to make it clear as well. This is not a hit job on all of rugby players. I, I think. I think one of the issues um, between players and journalists is that they've kind of been kept apart a little bit as well. And when you sit down with a player, for example, and are given an opportunity to have 30, 40 minutes, whatever, to to strike up a bit of a rapport, um, you will find that these guys are smart guys, resilient, great stories, um, and there's probably a little bit of learning going on on both sides. To give you an example, recently the, um, the Highlanders uh, gave me some time with Mitch Hunt. Mitch Hunt is a guy who's been criticised ferociously on social media. He sat down with me and we talked about that, and he was fantastic. I, I think there needs to be more of that done. The relationship between the players and the media has, probably over a number of years, been victim of the fact that it's an us-versus-them type thing. And I think that's an issue as well um, around the control of the players and uh, how much access journalists are given to them because there's very little opportunity to break down some of the walls that exist at the moment.
0: Hamish, have there been times in the past where you learnt something about an incident or an athlete and you've chosen not to report on it just because it's not really in the public interest and it's got nothing to do with the sport and it would actually cause people a fair bit of distress?
3: Yeah. I mean, guys play up, and I think everyone knows that. Um, some people revel in the stuff that goes on on tours. I wasn't one of those people. I, I preferred to let the guys do their own thing, and I didn't seek to be a, a sort of a man on tour like others, and I just, yeah, I was happy for that sort of stuff to, to not be in the public domain. Because what you want as a rugby writer is just to write about rugby. You don't want to have to do sabbaticals and diversity and... Um, rights issues and private equity deals you just you just love the luxury of being able to write about rugby if you can and um certainly in the day to day business then that's that's the more the stuff you try and concentrate on Uh, there are things that go on but they're murky and they're people's lives but it does give you a jaundiced view and i think that's one thing that i would say i i don't share people's Gross tinted view of many of these people you know them once and all you know how they are to deal with mm. you know how they behave and to an extent that colors the way you cover them even if you don't report the stories
1: i do know of several instances and it, it involves more of um athletes personal lives and some of the things they've got up to uh, off the field and um, has negatively impacted on their performance or their selection on the field um I know several examples of stuff like that from some very high-profile tours and tournaments, but if, but I haven't chosen to report them, even though I have been able to stand them up with sort of sources either off the record or on, because A, they're probably not in the public interest, it's more of a personal issue for the player involved and what's going on in their own lives, and while no doubt these sort of um, I get, you know tabloid-type stories would, would go Pretty far on places like social media, um, it just never felt right that that was something I'd report on. And, and there's other journals who would know the same stories or similar stories or different ones and have, and have chosen not to report on them for the same reason that it's not necessarily in the public interest. While it's quite salacious and there is a tentative link um, to what's happened on the field or on the court, uh, it's not really a story that revolves around rugby. And it's sort of like you say, it could have a detrimental effect on the people involved in their mental health. And some of those people aren't athletes. And aren't high profile people that have to have their name up in lights and, you know, and, and sort of, um, have to have that scrutiny because they are people in the spotlight, and so to drag their names into it would be unfair.
0: I'm wondering, just changing the direction of the conversation slightly, do we generally have different standards and expectations for different codes? I mean, the Israel Adesunia comment a couple of weeks ago that he would rape an opponent in response to trash talk by another UFC fighter. Uh, Adesanya later apologised for that comment Paul if an All Black had said that would the outcry have been far stronger?
2: Uh, yes absolutely I, I think that Well, I, I would like to think that if an All Black had said that that All Black wouldn't be playing rugby for a wee while mm. um, I know that there is a tradition of trash talking in, in, in combat sports but I mean that comment was so egregious that you know, if it, if it had been a high-profile rugby player that said it, I, I think that would have been. Yeah, it, it would, you know, New Zealand rugby would have had to have stepped in and, and taken the facts of action because of the nature of the comment.
0: Mm. I guess are we just more, Joe? Are we more desensitised when it comes to the combat sports arena because we're so used to boxers and UFC fighters saying outrageous, ridiculous things? Although this obviously crossed the line.
1: Oh, there's got to be an element of that. I mean, you know, Mike Tyson, I'm going to eat your children and all that sort of stuff back when I was a youngster. So certainly, you know, boxing and combat sports have had a history of people, like you say, crossing the line and going beyond what would be considered um, just general trash talk. Obviously, that comment well across, well, you know, beyond what should have ever been said. But because he's not part of Israel, Adesanya really isn't an athlete unto himself he's a brand unto himself sure there's city kickboxing and eugene bearman that kind of a link with him in there but but really he's an individual athlete in an individual sport with his individual sponsors and his individual following um and so therefore he's kind of not held accountable by anyone else other than himself really so in this it's, it's, it's essence it's um, a little bit different mm-hmm. if an all-black had said it well they are representing the all-black brand uh and in many essences uh, representing New Zealand on the world stage in our own attitudes, uh, many ways representing Tikanga Māori and other Pacifica cultural practices and other parts of sort of New Zealand, uh, you know, the fabric of our society. So, certainly, it'd be a lot different if an all black had said it. NZR, no doubt, would have come down very, very hard. I mean, it's an unacceptable comment, but I think you're right. There's an element of of loose talk that comes with combat sport and boxing, and it's always been there. Um, And there's also less accountability for each individual athlete because the UFC aren't going to step in and sanction a guy for saying things like that. I'm not sure if they have the power to do so or not, but really that's their cash cow, a guy like Israel Adesanya. So I don't think they have the same level of accountability. Uh, And the All Blacks, yeah, they are in New Zealand really up on that ultimate pedestal um, as the sort of national team and national sport of the country. And if an All Black had said something like that, they would have been climbed on and no doubt NZR would have responded and taken some swift action.
3: I mean that UFC stuff, I don't follow it, it's just grubby. There's a lot of nonsense talked in the in the in the for the name of promoting things and hyping things up and I just I just find it so low rent and I ignore it. Yes, to answer your question, a rugby player or a cricket player or a netballer, for goodness sake my word, um, would be held to a different completely different
4: standard than that.
0: Australian cricket great Joanne Broadbent feels there is still a gulf between Australia and New Zealand in the women's game. Broadbent says while the White Ferns have improved their performances between the English and Australian tours this summer, a lot of work is still needed if New Zealand want to be contenders at next summer's World Cup. Broadbent has been coaching the Northern Districts this summer and this week extended her contract for another two years. Broadbent, who played 10 tests and 60 ODIs for Australia in the 90s, says on their day any of the top teams can beat each other. However, the current Rose Bowl series has again shown up the differences in the setup between the trans-Tasman rivals. The
4: first thing that comes to mind is that the Australian team has, has been professional for a number of years, Um, even at domestic level as well. So, you know, you can see the the differences, I I suppose, from a physical point of view, their fitness, their fitter, faster, stronger, I think, than where the white ferns are currently. A lot of the white ferns players are still performing their their day jobs, if you like, as well as trying to, to fit cricket in. So, you know, you've really got a professional team versus amateur at the moment. Look, I think there's, Certainly some really good signs from the White Ferns as well. There's been some magnificent performances from someone like Jess Kerr and Lee Kasperich and and even Lauren Downs um, making a high score for the White Ferns against the number one team in the world.
1: So where would you say New Zealand, uh, the the White Ferns are at the moment? As I say, a couple of key players aren't there. But how are they going to feel finishing this summer Knowing that in one year's time there's a World Cup, do you think New Zealand cricket will feel that are in a good space?
4: They've improved between this England and Australian series. They're probably sitting in the middle of the pack at the moment. You know, when you've got teams like um, India and West Indies on their day, they can beat Australia. You've got um, England and South Africa. You know they've just been um, booming in the, in the world stage as well. So. Yeah, look, I think um, New Zealand will probably have a good look both potentially on and off the field to see what sorts of things that they can, they can bring to this next World Cup. And, and that's all you can really do is just ask for your best, bring your best. And I think Sophie DeFoyne has, has said before, if you know, to, to be the best, you've got to beat the best.
1: The basis of the squad that they've got at the moment, you know, that might be it for you know, the next year. And they'll, they'll just have to, as you say, be performing at their best.
4: Yeah, and I think, look, take your hat off to them in in regards to these last couple of series because they have been bringing players in to see what they can do. It's probably not ideal leading into a World Cup. You'd like to see it a little bit more settled. Um, However, you know, there are a lot of good uh, New Zealand players. It's been my sort of second domestic season and and some of the players that that are going around in domestic level, it's just getting to that, that next level And that's when the the pressure comes at the next level and you, you need to be able to
0: execute your skills at will. Australian Joanne Broadbent talking to Barry Guy. That brings us to the end of Extra Time. My thanks to Hamish Bidwell, Stuff Sports reporter Paul Cully and RNZ's Joe Porter. Extra Time is available every Friday from about 4pm. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, iHeartRadio and of course at rnz.co.nz. Give us a rating if you would, that helps a whole lot. I'm Bridget Tunnicliffe, Hi rā.